Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wise. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is currently trapped in a deadly battle with a rich family of Satanists. So, what else is new? It's Mike and Mike go to the movies. Uh, I'm Mike Smith. Joining me as always is a man who will try very hard not to confuse this movie with a song by the Fugees. <laughs> Mike Tricio. How you doing today, Mike? <laughs> I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm doing great. We're gonna we're gonna kill the bourgeois, you know. There it's you gonna go. be fun- wonderful. Yeah, as as is the case with every episode of this podcast, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Eat the rich. <laughs> uh, all of the theme songs you're gonna hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, and our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, if you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did in the show, you can email us over at Mike Mike Go to the Movies at Gmail dot com. So today we're gonna do some discussions. Uh, in which Mike and I talk whatever media we've been consuming lately, and then we're diving into another edition of our new segment called "You May Also Like," where we act as our personal, or we act as your personal Netflix algorithm, I should say, not ours. Ooh. We don't, we don't need we, the algorithm. We, we are, do it for you. Yeah, we are the algorithm. We act as your personal Netflix algorithm to recommend movies based on the movie that we're reviewing today, and uh, then we're going to get into that actual review, uh, which is the new horror comedy "Ready or Not," uh, directed by Matt Benanelli, Olpin, and Tyler Gillette, uh, two of the guys from Radio Silence. Uh, were you familiar with Radio Silence before you saw Ready or Not, Mike? No, I don't think I was. Okay, I I knew the name Radio Silence because they actually directed my favorite short in VHS, the uh, horror anthology. Um, uh-huh. from like 2012 I want to say the movie came out uh, and I, I was so blown away by their short and I was so excited to follow what those guys did next uh, and then I didn't I never heard anything about what they did next apparently they had made like two or three other movies before Ready or Not that I didn't know about uh, and I'm <laughs> and I'm really upset about it but at the same time I'm pretty excited that I didn't know about these movies because now I can watch them uh, <laughs> yeah look at that so it all works out but yes yeah, so uh, I uh, I was pretty hyped for this movie when I found out that it was a Radio Silence production and uh, we'll be talking about Ready or Not a lot uh, in a little while but first we're going to get into some discussions watch this these are my discussions just when I thought I said all I could say my body and I talk about movies you see these are my discussions there is so much to see you and me so we're going to talk about movies for our discussions alright it's time for our discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies Mike what do you have to discuss with us today? today I have a lot of movies to discuss so many um, movies so many movies a plethora Mike <laughs> a cornucopia of film of a veritable potpourri. <laughs> and uh, the first of which, well, the, I went to see uh, another one of our favorite movie marathon things that we like to go to, but this time I had to go by myself. I know. <laughs> I was so me, sad. I know. I, I felt I felt a lot of pain watching you tweet about these movies and being like, man, I could be watching these movies with Mike right now if I didn't live 3,000 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> if only. If there, were, if there weren't so many states in between us, Mike. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I went to the Alma Draft House up in Yonkers to go to their trash action movie spectacular. A mystery movie marathon was the full title, which they like to say a lot the whole right. time, <laughs> uh, which was fun. Based on the novel uh, Push by Sapphire. Yeah. <laughs> Fast and exactly. Furious presents. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. Very yeah. good. Uh, and this was a, a six movie marathon of uh, just trash action movies all on 35 millimeter, which was awesome. 
And uh, I was a little nervous because I wasn't really sure like what level of trash action movie we were going to be getting. Right. You were telling me you were expecting like Mystery Science Theater 3000 level kind of movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it says like in the write-up, like on the post, like, you know, when they announced it, it was like Stallone and Schwarzenegger ruled the box office in the 80s. But we want to highlight the knockoffs and the trash versions of those. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that could be disastrous. Like, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, but it turns out it was pretty great. Uh, we got six awesome movies. Well, four really good movies, and uh, that, that's pretty fun. You know, Yay. we got the first up was uh, Trespass, starring Bill Paxton, William Sadler, Ice T, and Ice Cube. They got the Ice's T and Cube in this movie. Correct. <laughs> the duo Ice. Uh, my, my one friend pointed out that if only Vanilla Ice had been there, it would have been the trifecta. Oh man, what a, what a missed opportunity. Yeah, right? And it was 92. And he would have done it. He would have done it. Yeah, right? <laughs> he was at his peak. Yeah. He could have done it. Bill Paxton. Hey, McDonald, we're getting in awful deep. Ice tea. We're not playing anymore out here. We're past the point of no return. William Sadler. Truth is, Vince, I don't see any way we're going to get out of here quiet. And Ice Cube. It's all about survival. It's all about getting yours. When you cross the line, sometimes there's no way back. I tell you white boys doing up here anyway. Uh, and this is a story about uh, William Sadler and Bill Paxton, through some insane circumstances, find a treasure map to stolen gold uh, in East St. Louis. And they go there, and it's an abandoned factory. And while they're there, Ice Cube and Ice-T are executing, uh, like, a rival gang guy. They have, like, their, their crew is there, and they execute this dude. And Bill Paxton and William Sadler witness it, and then the gang sees them. And it's this, like, battle for, you know, survival in this abandoned factory, hostages and kind of locked in a room, trapped in a room while searching yeah. for gold kind of thing. And it was fucking rad, dude. Like, I, was, I had never even heard of this movie. And it was so good. 1992 Bill Paxton? Like, you can't yeah, go wrong. absolutely. I actually, I, uh, you, you were tweeting about this and you made it sound awesome and I, I want to watch it as soon as I can. Uh, <laughs> I, I looked into it. Turns out it's a screenplay by uh, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Yeah. Uh, and before directed that- by... Walter Hill? Oh, is yeah. Yeah, it is a Walter Hill movie, yes. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome, yes. So he, I mean, he did, you know, The Driver, Streets of Fire, uh, 48 Hours, all these uh, great action movies. But, uh, yeah. like, the thing about the Zemeckis Gale thing, like, they, they wrote this script before they made Back to the Future. Uh, so it was one of those scripts that was just kind of sitting around for years, and then they were finally like, hey, we got this Zemeckis Gale <laughs> script <laughs> just on the back burner. Uh, we can make this. Uh, so, yeah, I really want to watch it now, because I'm a huge Zemeckis fan. But, yeah, I, I had never heard of it. It has no relation to the movie Trespass that we reviewed for the complete works, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. none whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> if only, though. Yeah, if only. If only Nicolas Cage uh, made a stealth sequel to <laughs> 1992's <laughs> Trespass. If only there was an Ice-T cameo in there. Right? Uh, yeah, so the one, one of the hard things, too, about these uh, marathons is sometimes the movies can be hard to find because they're, like, rare. Well, at least on film, but, you know, in general, right. they might be hard to find copies of. Um, who knows if there's a D- DVD or VHS or... Like, Anything more than VHS of some of these movies. I can tell you that it's available to rent on all the streaming services for like three bucks. Uh, oh, really? So there's that. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Everyone watch Trespass. <laughs> uh, the next one, I think, is 1988, uh, starring Gary Busey in Bulletproof. I'm already uh, in. That's all I need to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I didn't really look up this movie, and it seemed like it must have been like one of a series. Um, oh, really? Yeah, well, just because there's a lot of stuff where they're, like, they reference, like, past events a lot, and you're just kind of expected to know it. And it's like, okay, sure, like, whatever, that's fine. Um, but I think there's also a supercut. He's playing a character named McBain, which is funny because the Simpsons thing. Right, right? yes. Yeah, <laughs> which just might be a reference to this, which also is, like, a reference to Die Hard, I know. 
uh, in McBain right. on The Simpsons. Uh, but there's like a supercut of this where it's just all the times they say McBain on YouTube, which okay. is very funny. Yeah, and it's it's just like a, a classic late '80s like action movie for like somehow Gary Busey's like a hot hunk uh, in 1988, <laughs> which is hilarious on its own. Right. But yeah, it's it's them fighting like a, a Nicaraguan and and like Arabian super army in Mexico, like the and Cubans like the communist army is in uh, like secretly in Mexico and they send a one man guy to like sabotage them. Yeah. And it's Gary Busey. <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> what else do you need in the movie? You know. Yeah, there's also a scene where he is uh, forlornly laying on a bed holding a saxophone while he has a flashback to playing a saxophone on the beach when he wooed another man's (laughs) wife away from him. And it's fucking hilarious. That sounds... Honestly, that sounds like MacGruber might have lifted that from this movie. That sounds like a MacGruber It's Gary Busey, Mike. I want to just reiterate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it might... Like, MacGruber is the perfect... Like, this is the movie that MacGruber would be spoofing. It's that level of stuff. Perfect. So it's fun. You know, late 80s stuff. Sure. Uh, Then the next up was, I think, also 1992 again. Live Wire, starring uh, Pierce Brosnan. Action thrillers like Patriot Games, Lethal Weapon, and Die Hard always score big with audiences. And Live Wire is the next explosive hit. It's loaded with non-stop action, stunts, and special effects. And it's available in rated and unrated versions. Starring Pierce Brosnan of The Lawnmower Man and The Fourth Protocol. I'll separate you from the rest of your life. Okay, and you were telling me this is like the whole reason this marathon existed, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, the Justin, the former programmer at Yonkers, uh, Alma Drafthouse, sent like a thing for the, the guys to read, uh, the hosts, you know, and then he talked about how he wanted to show Livewire because nobody's heard of it, nobody's seen it, or anything like that. It's a 1992 HBO movie. Yeah. Um, by accident, like it got sold to HBO at the last minute kind of thing. Uh, but he needed an excuse because no one would just come see Live Wire. Like, right. in this movie nobody's heard of. Um, so he spent like a year and a half, he said, sourcing prints and and programming this marathon. Um, so thanks, Justin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, this stars uh, Pierce Brosnan as an FBI, like, bomb defusal specialist guy thwarting a terrorist plot against some senators that screwed him out of a arms deal. Like, there was an arms deal about to be secured or whatever and these senators stopped it so now the terrorist is blowing people up and he's using water to make people spontaneously combust or some shit so yeah. it's the weirdest fucking like 1992 idea of what like super advanced explosives could be <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's really funny okay cool yeah and that's this is before james bond right this is before pierce Brosnan was james bond i would i think so yeah, yeah. he was late 90s right his golden eye yeah golden eye was 95 yeah this is 92 then yeah, this yeah. Is pre, yeah pre-james bond pierce Brosnan. Uh, and he's trying to do an American accent, which is very funny because it just slips in and out. Like he's mostly doing like hot, sexy, suave Pierce Brosnan, but then sometimes he's British got an East Coast of all time. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes he's doing like an East Coast Boston accent, which is like whatever, man. That's great. <laughs> uh, but also one of the funniest things, you know, these are the kind of moments you like live for with these, these like you know going to a theater with a the full audience. Yeah, the the live wire starts with like a like an opening crawl kind of thing, and it says like you know annually. I forget, like, you know, 500 people die in terrorist attacks every year, or whatever number it was, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, terrorist attacks every year, including, uh, like, hijackings and bombings and assassinations and all this stuff, and they happen in every major cult country around the world, except for one notable <laughs> exception. <laughs> and everyone in the theater is like, oh, no. And then it, like, comes up, United States of America. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. And everyone just, like, kind of, like, awkwardly laughed. <laughs> it's 
the funniest fucking thing. And then the movie started. So yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Next one up was Nemesis. Uh, from, I, th- I want to say like 94. Okay. But it might have been 80 something. I forget. I don't remember. I'm sure at this point you're getting delirious from all the yeah. trash action that's <laughs> happening throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of bouncing back and forth, you know, between the 80s and 90s and stuff. And yeah. this is um, <laughs> the guy, the, the host, described it as Blade Runner, but for adults, because Blade Runner is for babies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this is, it's about a cop who's part cyborg who gets sent to stop humans by his cyborg, like, bosses from, like, just, like, ter- human terrorists, you know, kind okay. of thing. yeah. And then, turns out... Haha, the humans convert him into realizing the cyborgs were evil all along. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, what a twist. Um, but it's very fucking weird and, like, attempt at, like, early 90s cyberpunk. Uh, yeah. Everyone's in glasses and big trench coats and, like, <laughs> sunglasses and big trench coats. And I swear, this movie was, like, fine. It was kind of dumb. Uh, like, obviously. <laughs> this is what I thought all the movies were going to be like. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, like, a straight-up direct influence on The Matrix, honestly. Really? Uh, so for that, it was really interesting, especially because in the very beginning, there's, like, this big chase sequence through, like, I don't know, abandoned building or whatever, which, you know, that's very Matrixy on its own. Sure. Uh, and there's a point where a guy, like, falls down, but it's also, like, a John Woo move, I guess. He gets, like, knocked down, like, a, a, like a giant mound of dirt kind of thing, and he's, as he's sliding backwards down the, the mound, he, like, draws both his pistols and he's shooting up. Yeah. But it just looked a lot like that thing in the beginning of Matrix when Trinity dives through the windows. Dives, dives through the window and she goes down the staircase and ends up with both her pistols out. Okay, I yeah. I was like, this is exactly like that. And it's the very beginning of the movie, so I thought of it. Huh. Um, but yeah, like the the robot guys, the bad guys are all wearing sunglasses and like have earpieces that they can communicate to all of each other. I don't know, it's just very oh, specific. Man, that's it's so like, weird. This is very weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ne- it's Nemesis. It wasn't great, but just for that thing, I was like, this might have influenced The Matrix, and that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it started, I forget the guy's name, but he was like a world champion kickboxer. So oh, cool. a lot of just like roundhouse kicks a lot. <laughs> so <that's>, <laughs> Which so is always fun. fun to watch. So there's Yeah. That. So that was Nemesis. Then next up we had um, 1984, I want to say, Angel. And this is a sleazy, sleazy movie about a, <laughs> like a high school girl. They don't specifically ever say her age, but it's, it's either 14 to 16. Okay. Um, and she's, like, an honor student at, at, like, this prestigious prep school in L.A. by day. And by night, she's a Hollywood Boulevard prostitute. Whoa. Um, yeah, dark turn, right? 1984, <laughs> what's up? And there's, like, this studio killer out there stalking, like, prostitutes on, on Hollywood Boulevard. And yeah. it starts getting closer to, the like, to Angel, this main character and stuff. And it really is more of a slasher than an outright action movie. There's a couple, like, shootouts and stuff uh, as the cops, like, you know, close in on this guy. But right. mostly it's it's, like, them... Uh, the people, like, the prostitutes and sex workers on Hollywood Boulevard, like, trying to work while this, like, serial killer thing's going on, and there's this, like, other story about her at school and, like, all this stuff. So it's more like a personal, like, slice of life thing, like, look into what's going on on Hollywood Boulevard in 1984, which is very weird. So, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. It was kind of cool because it, it, it was different than all the other ones. It was more like that kind of sleazy slasher style movie sure. than an outright action movie but it was the fifth movie so it's you know 10 o'clock and it's then we put the slow personal drama movie in <laughs> it's like oh no yeah you got it yeah that's definitely um an interesting choice i feel like by when you get to the end of the marathon you got to play like some big shit you know yeah you're, you're tired you're you've been through so many movies at that point uh, <laughs> you start to get sleepy i wish bulletproof had been there but yeah. i'm also glad that you know 
that we, we front loaded for three really good movies, one okay movie in Nemesis, and then the last two were kind of like, okay, I, I, sure, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and the last movie was, oh, I forget what year, but uh, it's called Cyclone, starring Jeffrey Combs and Heather something. I forget. Oh, fuck. I forget her name. Okay. Heather. Jeffrey Combs and Heather. <laughs> Heather. Is it Heather yeah. Graham? Is it Heather Graham? No, nope, it's not no. Heather Graham. Heather It was somebody uh, I had never seen before. Heather Langenkamp? No. No, that's okay. from Nightmare. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. from the Elm Street movies, right? Fair enough. Yeah, no, it's just anyway. Jeffrey Combs and Heather. I'll look it up. <laughs> and Heather, yeah. Uh, and this is Jeffrey Combs in his, like, classic, uh, like, nerdy scientist guy role. He's the, the guy from Reanimator, if you don't know. Right. He invents or, or creates this, like, super bike, motorcycle, mega weapon thing for the government but like it's it's so top secret that he the government doesn't know like he refused to tell them where his lab was and okay his his girlfriend he dies he gets assassinated for the, uh, because of this bike and his girlfriend like finds his like file thing she like he, he like sends her a thing like after i die you'll get this message kind of thing and she has to now deliver this motorcycle to the the safe people so it's got like vast government conspiracies and su- super tech that doesn't exist but like it's it's that late 80s version of what super tech would be like so okay, it's really sure. just like boxy spacey stuff but <laughs> yeah. it's clearly like a vacuum tube taped onto a motorcycle helmet right <laughs> like you know so that was fun uh but it was also kind of like lame and slow for a decent section of it but it, it was twisty turny martin landau was in it oh, nice. uh, which which was pretty cool because he's just like the sleazy government agent guy at the top, uh, yeah. the whole conspiracy, you know. So that's fun. Cool. And that's that's cyclone, you know. Nice. And by the way, that uh, actress name was Heather Thomas. Heather uh, Thomas. That's uh, what it was, and she was uh, best known in the '80s. She was on a TV show called The Fall Guy or something like that. Um, there you go. So there you go. That's who it was. Yeah. So the action wasn't that great. Uh, getting back to that. Also. Yeah. So like you know, because it's not it's not like action people. Uh, you know, it's not like a kickboxing champion kind of guy as doing the fight scenes, you yeah. know, or anything like that. They also highlighted a bunch of stuntmen too. Obviously, like you know, in keeping with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of stuntmen tr- trend going on in okay. movie things right now. Interesting, yeah. So they highlighted a couple of the stuntmen who I don't really remember, but it was guys that were in like Crazy Mary, whatever Larry or whatever, <laughs> whatever that movie is. Did the driving with with Peter Fonda? I think is in that movie. Don't remember the title. We'll move on. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, but good marathon overall. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was cool. Like I said, it started out three really good movies, one like solid silly movie, uh, and then two kind of like eh, kind of petered out towards the end. Uh, okay. but also it might have just been because I was sleepy, you know. Right, that's fair. I mean, that's the danger you go through with the, with these marathons. I feel like the best closing movie uh, that we've ever had for a marathon was a City Hunter, um, oh, which yeah. was uh, we 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 went to the Alamo Draft House uh, for Cinema Apocalypse. That was that one. Um, right. So that was a bunch of like. Kind kind of in the same vein as this, actually. A lot of like B movies, but they weren't all action movies. And some of them were like you know weird horror movies. Some of them were like exploitation. They're actually, I feel like it was an, it was a more action oriented thing. Yeah, I think than, so. Than anything else, but the uh, City Hunter with the Jackie Chan movie, uh, which neither, <laughs> neither of us had seen, neither of us had really heard of. And then when it yeah. premiered, when it played, it just completely blew us away. And that we and we were already like we were talking before the movie, like man, I'm tired. I don't know if we're gonna make it. And then like City Hunter starts, and we're just like in. It was great. <laughs> that was an awesome. That was an awesome closing movie. More movies should yeah. be like City Hunter, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Correct. They even showed that they did a, a which was interesting, a full like pre-show thing they do at the Draft House normally yeah. before this. Uh, which was cool, and they showed the Street Fighter fight scene from oh, really? before these movies. Yeah, that's cool. Was it just like a callback to like the old 
Cinema Apocalypse uh, Marathon or something? Or like, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, they yeah. had that. They had like some Bollywood fight scenes, which were pretty fun, and just like a Hong Kong fight. You know, just like general trash, quote unquote, action movie stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Cool. All right. So uh, that is the uh, the trash action movie marathon. Hopefully, they do something similar uh, in the near future over the draft house, and hopefully, I can go to it one of these days. <laughs> yeah, one I was, day. I was genuinely so mad because I was in New York the weekend before for uh, our friend's wedding. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, if they had scheduled that trash action movie marathon the weekend before, the wedding was on Friday, I would have driven down to Yonkers. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not have my car with me. I would have rented a car. I would have stolen a car. <laughs> I would have stolen a car. I would have Ubered all the way down from Albany to Yonkers <laughs> uh, just to get to the trash action mar- movie marathon. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, it was oh, the weekend after. But, anyway. So uh, close. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, that's, the, that's the marathon. Mike, do you have anything else you wanted to uh, mention here? Uh, yeah, I'll stop talking soon, but I got two movies, <laughs> two more things I want to mention real quick. Yeah. Uh, the first of which is called Get My Gun, and, uh, this is a exploitation revenge movie kind of thing that's on Shudder right now, and I'm not sure if it's anywhere else available. Uh, but it's new, I, I didn't look at the year, oh, but within, I would say, 2015 or, or, or even more recent than that, um, this is a movie about a woman who's a maid at a motel, and she gets a, uh, she gets assaulted and raped by one of the, like, uh, you know, inhabitants of the hotel. And it's one of those, like, seedy things where, like, people live there and it's, like, gross and stuff. Right, yeah. uh, These motels. And uh, it just becomes a revenge movie after that. But it it's like a mumblecore revenge movie. It's so fucking weird. Um, yeah, and I think I, I it's so close to being really good. Because it starts, it starts like, at the end kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, where it's, like... So it starts in this, like, exploitation, violence, like, movie. And it has the coolest fucking opening line it's like the first like she sees the person like you know you could put together that attacked her or whatever and she runs through a payphone and she's like listen carefully get my car and get my gun and that's it and that's like that's the first line of the movie and you're like oh hell yeah and uh you know it starts with this ultra violence kind of thing and then flashes back to like chapter one and it's kind of told through that and it's it's this weird slice of life thing like it's her going to the the motel going to her job just trying to get by like trying to afford her apartment this new girl comes to work, they become friends, and it's just them for, like, half an hour hanging out, going to work, hanging out in the city, like, going shopping and stuff, and then the assault happens, and then it's chapter two, and it's her, she's pregnant, and it's her trying to, like, put her life back together, and kind of all the stuff dealing with it, and it's, there's this weird adoption subplot, and then it gets to the end where it started and it does this ultra violence thing, but it, it feels so weird where the whole other you know, hour and 20 minutes are this kind of slice of life drama mumblecore movie. Yeah. And then it makes this weird shift to exploitation movie, ultra violence and stuff like, like, you know, remember in the movie revenge where like, uh, after the girl gets knocked off the cliff, she's like on that, like speared on that tree. Yeah. She yeah. is dead, but then somehow like takes a gasp and comes back to life. And you know, like it has, there's like fantasy element to these kind of movies sure. where like people would normally die. Uh, but don't or come back, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And Get My Gun has that, but it feels so much more out of place because the other hour and twenty minutes were this drama movie. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm, you know what I I'm see, saying. I see what we're, you're saying because that was like a mumble, like the way that was like filmed and shot and written. It was like this mumblecore, like realistic type thing, and then suddenly yeah. it becomes this like strange fantasy wish fulfillment deal. Yeah, revenge movie thing. So like it was, it was so close, and I just I don't know I, w- I want people to check it out if you have Shutter and and 
let me know what you think because it, it it's it's such an interesting like smashing of two genres that shouldn't really go together. I, I don't know, uh, and I think it was so close. I think it just missed the mark for me personally. Um, but it, it's cool, unique, uh, you know, independent cinema. So I want that's get my gun. Oh, I also wanted to mention uh, it had the best tagline of all time ever, which is I wish it lived up to it. Which is you've made your bed now die in it. <laughs> And that's so fucking cool. Like, oh, man. Imagine if that was, like, a Quentin Tarantino, like, oh, man. Yeah. like tagline. Yeah, no, that's a great tagline. That's, that yeah. Would be, it, yeah, if that was, like, a Tarantino tagline, that would be, like, an iconic tagline if that was a big one. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, or if it was just that, like, all-out revenge exploitation movie the whole time. I, sure. I don't know. I don't know, like, what it, what it could have needed for yeah. me. But that's Get My Gun. Okay. And last but not least... I saw Midsummer, the director's cut <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> and that movie's still great, and I think it's better as a director's cut. I think this version is better to me. I, I, after I, we saw it the first time, I could have watched a million more hours of this, and I didn't even notice that it was 24 hours longer. Or 24 hours. <laughs> I wish. I wish it was 24 hours longer. <laughs> it was 24 yeah. minutes longer. Yeah. Uh, when, it's, when it ended, I was still like, what? No, don't give me more. I need more of this shit. <laughs> Supposedly there is like a longer cut. Somewhere out there, um, oh, I think Ari Aster. Yes, said, I think Ari Aster said there's like a three and a half to four hour cut of the movie or something. But uh, oh yeah, I, I also saw this director's cut of Midsummer. For some background for those who don't uh, know, but obviously Midsummer came out in July, uh, and almost immediately after it came out, there was talk of like a director's cut that was going to be available. Uh, and then there was this screening that took place, I believe, at Lincoln Center in New York City or something. Yeah, it was like some. There was a uh, film festival there, and yeah. that's where the show. Right, and so they did like a one-time screening there, uh, and a few like New York-based critics got to see it, and they wrote about it and stuff like that. And there was talk about like, well, what's going to happen? Like, what's the plan with this midsummer director's cut now that it's out there? And like, is the, are they going to actually release it, or what's the one-time showing? Uh, and then they announced the midsummer Blu-ray, and there was no talk about the director's cut being on that. So everybody was like, well, what the fuck? What's happening? Uh, and then suddenly, uh, kind of, actually, very suddenly, they were like, hey. Midsummer Director's Cut is going to be out uh, this weekend in like a couple. Yeah, of... it's it's out. Yeah, it's it's basically out. Uh, and so I was actually I I didn't think I was going to be able to see it. I didn't think it was going to be playing near me in Missoula. Um, I think you, you like there was a list of theaters that were showing it online, and you like scanned them. And, like the closest one to me was in Spokane, Washington, which is three hours away. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just put in uh, Missoula, like because it was like search your city to see the nearest one, and Spokane yes. was the first one that came up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I was like. I was browsing through um, the showtimes at the theater, seeing what's playing around me for the weekend, so I can kind of plan out how I how my weekend's going to go because that's what I do on the weekends. I go to movies all the time, <laughs> uh, and then I was I was looking through the AMC 12, which is the AMC I never really go to that much because it's not the dining theater; it's not the nicer one. Um, but they were showing the Midsummer Director's Cut. Uh, <laughs> what? Lo and behold, one showtime every day uh, for like the entire weekend. Uh, so I that's went. Awesome. Yeah. So I went on uh, Sunday night. Uh, for the 725 show of Midsummer, and it was a, actually a packed theater too, um, which was yeah. surprising. I think because there was only the one showtime, um, but also mm. I'm pretty sure everybody in the theater had already seen Midsummer. <laughs> like <laughs> like it's it, like that that was the vibe I got. Like everybody was kind of chuckling at the foreshadowing and things like that that happened earlier in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the director's cut as well. Um, you know, we, we both gave Midsummer pretty positive uh, reviews uh, on our episode, which we uh, that was like three episodes ago. So if you, anybody wants to go back and listen to that, they can. I, I would say I think this the director's cut is a more like languidly paced version of the movie. I feel like it's a lot. Yeah. it's a little bit slower, and it's already like a relatively slow movie um, as is. I, I feel like it moves a little bit slower than the original cut, but 
the stuff that is added in, I think, really adds a lot to the movie. There's especially there's one scene like midway through, which is completely new to the narrative. Um, yeah, like there's for most of the the runtime, there's like added bits to scenes that are already there. Um, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, I think especially, I think most significantly, there's a scene towards the beginning um, that actually shows Christian um, asking Danny to come on the trip, which I don't think yeah. was there in the theatrical cut, um, which I think really emphasizes how much of a dick Christian is, like, much earlier on in the movie than the, than the theatrical, cut, theatrical cut does. Yes. Um, but then, like, midway through the movie, there's, like, a whole big sequence uh, set at nighttime, which, um, yeah. I, which I think um, might have been cut, like, A, for time, but B, because Ari Aster might not have wanted to break the illusion of like the constant daylight that was happening in uh, in Sweden at that time um, right. but, but the scene is so good uh, <laughs> like everything about it is like you know it's it's a little bit redundant because it's, it's another like weird ritual that happens right after a weird ritual that <laughs> that she witnesses but then the scene le- like immediately after that where she's arguing with Christian is incredible uh, and I think yeah. and I think completely changes the, their entire dynamic for the back half of the movie. Um, from what you see in the theatrical cuts, so uh, I, I think that's that's a really fascinating change that this movie has going for it. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy this director's cut of Midsummer. I will say, yeah, that that was the scene that I, I just felt like I can't believe that. Well, specifically the argument they have after yes. that ritual is like, how is this not, like this justifies the entire arc, the whole rest of the arc that Danny has, like. Right. I, like you can in, infer a lot of that from the theatrical cut, like what that argument is about, and stuff. yeah, like it still works without it. But once you see it, it's like, man, this feels essential to the yeah. To the <laughs> it's like I can't believe this wasn't there. Yeah, uh, and there's one more scene too. One of those things that like is just added at the end of an, one of the scenes that's already in the movie. And I don't remember if it's in the theatrical cut. I might have just not noticed it the first time. Uh, after the first ritual, you know, uh, when they go back to the camp or whatever they go back to the buildings and stuff danny like goes off on her own and collapses onto her hands or knees and cries yes yeah which is the exact same thing that ha- she's alone there and then yeah. at the end she does the exact same thing collapses on her hand and knees screaming crying and has the community the women there and was right. like huh i don't remember that first one being there and if it's not that seems weird because it's like 10 <laughs> extra seconds why not leave it in yeah uh, but yeah i don't know it was it, it's interesting I, I just i just love ari aster i want the 10 hour cut of midsummer release the, <laughs> the, the snyder cut of midsummer yeah i was very my brother actually called me uh, the other day and he was telling me that he had just watched hereditary and was completely blown away by it and i was like yes here we go yes uh so he like like he loved the movie it's like one of his favorite movies of all time now and also he started watching twin peaks and he's a big twin peaks fan now so oh boy it was a good phone call is what i'm saying but i'm uh, proud of your brother <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, Midsummer, the director's cut. I believe it's still in theaters. Probably not for much longer. I think it's probably like a, yeah. very, a limited run that it's doing. Um, so I, I mean, by the time this podcast is actually out, it might not be in theaters. It anymore. might be gone. <laughs> yeah, I actually, real quick, I want to mention too, only because you mentioned the like being in a theater with people that have already seen it. Yes. I'm pretty sure it's true for mine also. Uh, but there was one person that was like hilarious. Because they kept being like, oh, like they like kept doing that every time there was a foreshadow, like now that they were seeing it the second time. Yes. Where they were like, oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And they kept having that like literal, actual, like, oh, like reaction, which is yeah. the funniest fucking thing. That's great. I will say there was one, there was one older couple in my theater who uh, was in the row ahead of me that um, I'm pretty, like, I, they had definitely not seen the movie um, before. Ooh. Uh, and they were very scandalized um, by the by the scene where uh, Christian has sex uh, with the <laughs> with all the things that are happening around him. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, and I won't go into more spoilers than that. But uh, 
they, they they had their reactions were pretty great. They're just like Whoa. like they they couldn't believe what they were watching, uh, and they stayed through the whole thing. Like they stayed through the movie to their credit. Like I've seen like you know I've seen movies like Midsummer where people like will just leave halfway through and like never come back and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was pretty funny to watch. Also, I think this this rewatch actually gave me a greater appreciation for what Jack Rayner is doing as a as Christian. Uh, yeah. Actually, I, I actually didn't I didn't pick up on this the first time, but his name isn't pronounced Christian; it's pronounced Christian. Like I don't know, if, like it's it's it feels like a very subtle. But every time somebody says his name, it's Christian. I, know, I noticed it this time. I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. Um, Could it just be the Swedish accents? No, because Danny says it that way too. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and Does she- well, I'm just gonna say it's just it's a douchier sounding version of Christian, which is why I think. That- I was going to say, it might be interesting to watch it again and see if her pronunciation changes. Mm, yeah, it's a She point. might start as Christian and then end as Christian. Like that you know. is possible. That is very possible. But uh, it, it gave me a greater appreciation for his stuff and his comic timing specifically. There's the yeah. one the one moment in that sex scene where um, the, the other like the other woman uh, kind of comes down and like grabs his uh, grabs his face, I think, or grabs the girl's hand. Yeah, uh, touches, and, yeah. and his like his bewildered reaction is the best. It's the best. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so yeah, Midsummer, the director's cut. Uh, it's like twenty five minutes longer than theatrical, uh, and I think well worth seeking out, especially if you liked it the first time around. <laughs> I think yeah. I think if you didn't like it the first time around, this is not going to change your mind. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but for people who are already a fan of the movie, I think this is a, a better version of that movie. Um, so yeah, that's Midsummer, the director's cut, and that's all you had uh, to talk about, right? Mike? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I, I have a few, yeah, I have a few movies to get through, and I'll try to get them through them relatively quick, uh, so we can move on to the next segment. Uh, I just want to get through a few uh, recent releases that I watched. Uh, first of which is Good Boys. We're sorry, we just want to learn how to kiss. Who we'll kiss? It's none of their business. We should have just told the truth. We're going to a kissing party, and none of us have ever kissed, and we're scared. God damn it, Lucas! I've had sex before, but I've never kissed a girl. Look, can we please have the drone back? If you don't give it back. I'll tell my dad you stole it. And I'll tell him that you're a pervert. We'll tell the whole school. This is sensual harassment. We'll tell everyone that you're a misogynist. I've never massaged anyone. This is what happens when you don't respect women. I respect women. My mom's my best friend. What about me? Which is a new movie directed by Gene Stepnitsky. It's his directorial debut. Uh, written by him and Lee Eisenberg. These two guys uh, used to work on The Office during the golden years of that show. Uh, have written a couple movies here and there, like Year One and Bad Teacher. Not particularly good comedies. Um, mm-hmm. But I, w- I was still excited for this one. I think partially because there aren't that many R-rated comedies being made anymore. Uh, and, yeah. so, and I really miss them. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, I like you know when I was growing up, like teenage teenage Mike through college Mike. Uh, that's like the heyday period for Seth Rogen and Judd Apatow and uh, all these like great R-rated comedies that were being made. Adam McKay was making comedies, and now he's not anymore, and it's upsetting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Good Boys is a movie produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and um, the, the kind of the twist behind this movie is that it's basically super bad. But just uh, with kids a few years younger than the kids in Superbad. Even uh, younger than Superbad. Exactly. So all the kids in this movie are uh, 12 years old, or just about like 11, 12 years old. They're all tweens. Um, but they're all doing the shit that um, is happening in Superbad. But it, it's also, I think, a really heartwarming movie. In the same way that I think a lot of a lot of the Apatow, Seth Rogen movies actually are. They have that kind of niceness to their core in some way. And I think Superbad's actually a really interesting movie about um, high school friendships and how they kind of dissolve over time. Uh, and Good Boys is also that, um, mm. but just but just about eleven year olds because it's it, it's there's this recurring kind of bit where 
um, they start to realize that, like, hey, they're 11, they're best friends, they've been best friends since they were kids, um, but that's really only because they've been living near each other for, you know, <laughs> their entire wow. lives. Uh, and so, you know, you, the movie kind of establishes them all as having start, starting to develop different interests, and Jacob Tremblay is maturing a lot faster than the other two, and he's already into girls and that kind of thing. And the whole plot of the movie is uh, they're trying to get some money to replace the, his dad's drone, which he which he destroyed uh, because he was trying to... They, the, the, basically, they got, into, they got invited to the kissing party for the first time, and they need to <laughs> get into that. Uh, and that's basically the whole plot of the movie, is just them trying to get into this party uh, and making their way over there. So it's, again, basically just super bad. But yeah, wait a second. Uh, and it's exactly as filthy as... Like, it's, you know, it's 11-year-olds that are cursing and shouting and making sex jokes and all that kind of stuff, and it feels very true to life, honestly, of, like, what I remember being... 11 years old was like you know yep. it's yeah. like like i think people might see this and be like this is like too much for 11 year olds to be saying but it's like this is what 11 year olds say like when yeah like in real life uh so there's a lot of uh, funny stuff there the kids are all great together too which is great that was a big concern for me going in is that you know jacob trembley has proven that he's a pretty good actor in various movies uh and then the other two kids uh one of which was on last man on earth for a little while uh too they're also really solid uh especially actually that kid he's great um and they and those those three work really well together. Uh, a lot of good supporting performances from like Will Forte is in this movie and Stephen Merchant, uh, a couple others too. Actually, the girl um, who was in Booksmart, uh, not one of the main characters in Booksmart, but she was like she was in Booksmart as one of like the supporting characters. She's also in this movie, uh, and she's really great in the movie too. And it's kind of funny because Booksmart is also just about two people trying to get into a party in high school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Noticing a theme. Yeah, and Will Forte is in that movie as one of the characters' dads, too, which is the same as in this movie. It's just very, yeah. very weird. Um, and uh, I, was, I was kind of heartened to see that Good Boys actually did pretty well at the box office, too, which was nice. It's actually, I think it was the biggest opening for an original comedy in, like, three or four years. Um, wow. Which is pretty good. And even then, like, it was, like, a 20 to $30 million opening. Nothing, like, huge, but, like, uh, just kind of uh, cool to see. So hoping, hopefully this, like, kind of re-kickstarts the trend of really good R-rated comedies. Uh, because I miss them. I miss them very much. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't I don't want all my comedies to be relegated to Netflix where I forget about them after a week and a half, you know? Uh, <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. But anyway, that is good, boys. Uh, also wanted to mention uh, the new movie that just came out a couple weeks ago uh, that I was pretty excited about. Played at Sundance um, back in January, uh, and it's called Blinded by the Light. Root! I listened to everything. Both tapes. I'm telling you, I can feel it all right here. It's like... Bruce knows everything I've ever felt, everything I've ever wanted. I mean, sometimes I feel so weak, I just want to explode. Explode and tear this whole town apart. Take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. I didn't know music could be like that. I mean, is a dream a lie if it don't come true? Or is it something worse? Congratulations. You popped your Bruce cherry. You never forget your first time. Um, which is the new movie dire- directed by uh, Gorinda Chadha, who is the director of uh, uh, Bandit Light Beckham way back in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, have you heard about Blinded by the Light, Mike? Uh, you're a big Bruce Springsteen fan, so I feel like you might. You know. uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I've, only, I've heard about it uh, in the context of Bruce Springsteen, and that's kind of really it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, this is the Man for Man biopic. Um, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, deep cut. Nice. <laughs> uh, no, this is a movie about a kid in the 80s um, this uh, Pakistani kid in the 80s living in um, 
uh, like right outside London. Um, and he's, you know, kind of this kind of unpopular kid because he's this Pakistani kid in like this, you know, relatively white area. And, you know, it's, uh, he's dealing with racism. He's dealing with Margaret, Thra- Margaret Thatcher's England and all these kind of things that are kind of coming at him. Uh, and then one day he meets uh, this guy at a school uh, who's a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, uh, gives him a Bruce Springsteen tape. And, like, you know, he's listening, and he puts on this tape, and it, like, literally changes his life. Uh, It's one of those things, and I think this movie really effectively captures that feeling of being 16 uh, and hearing that song that really, like, just changes you as a person. Like, that kind of thing with that feeling of, like, elation, like, discovering, just getting obsessed with an artist and a band. And so this kid just kind of starts modeling his life after Bruce Springsteen. Uh, There's a bunch of musical sequences that that use Bruce Springsteen music. Uh, The Born to Run sequence is some of the most joyous filmmaking I've seen this entire year. Uh, It's great. Uh, And I think even if you're not a Bruce Springsteen fan, I think the movie would still work because it is, it captures like a pretty universal feeling. Um, Like it could have been about any band and it would work like work. uh, You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, But because it's Bruce Springsteen, like I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan too. So I was into it. Uh, And plus it uses the Springsteen music in a really interesting way because it is this very American working class music. And it uses that to contrast against this kid's Pakistani upbringing and what it's doing with him versus his family and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So yeah, I really enjoyed Blind by the Light based on a true story. Actually, it's about like a real kid, real kid who um, has now seen Bruce Springsteen over like 150 times or something like that. And that kind of crazy thing. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and the movie ends with like pictures of him with Bruce Springsteen and like all that kind of stuff. Um, Bruce Springsteen himself does not make a cameo in the movie, by the way. Oh he's not, man, he's, you he's got not, me so excited. He's not in it. Um, but a lot of great, a lot of great Bruce Springsteen songs. Uh, I will say it does not play Rosalita come out tonight, which is the best <sighs> Bruce Springsteen song. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. <laughs> but, but anyway, really enjoyed the movie, uh, and worth checking out. Uh, and it's, it's, there's been a weird trend of like jukebox musicals in 2019, uh, recently. Um, yeah. between um, this and Yesterday and Rocketman. Uh, and I feel like there's another one coming out soon. I'm blanking on what that is. But yeah, Blinded by the Light, uh, easily the best of those three anyway. So uh, yeah, worth checking out. Uh, and then I wanted to mention another movie that uh, I just saw this past weekend um, that uh, I enjoyed, thought it was pretty good. Uh, and it's called The Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, which have you seen anything about this movie? Uh, yes. I know it's Shia LaBeouf and yep. I forget who else is in it. Uh, Dakota Johnson is in the movie. That was uh, it, yep. Bruce Dern's also uh, playing a small role here, uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, the plot of this movie is that it's uh, this 22-year-old kid with Down syndrome. He's uh, living in this um, retirement home because they have nowhere else to put him, basically. And he really wants to be a wrestler. He has like this... Um, he has like this old videotape from the 80s that he watches over and over again um, of like this old wrestler, uh, like, you know, not a famous wrestler or anything, but like it's like his hero and he wants to go find this guy's wrestling camp and become a wrestler. So he escapes the retirement home and uh, on his journey, he ends up meeting Shia LaBeouf, who is this like down in his luck crab fisherman who is like in the middle of like some uh, criminal activities and that kind of thing. Uh, and the two of them kind of form a bond. Dakota Johnson is uh, the social worker who's trying to find the Down Syndrome kid. And uh, the kid, whose name I'm blanking on, and I forget it, and I apologize for that, um, but he, he's really great. It's delightful to watch him perform in the movie. Uh, and Shia LaBeouf is great in the movie. Like, Shia LaBeouf wow. is really, really good. Um, I think he's actually become a really interesting actor over the last couple of years um, because he's kind of left mainstream Hollywood and just gone into some more weird art house type stuff uh, for a long time. Uh, and now he's got kind of getting back into movies. He has another movie out this year uh, called Honey Boy, which is based on his own life. Uh, where, oh, yeah. Where he plays his own father in that movie. And it's and supposedly, it's supposedly it's actually pretty good. Uh, like it sounds like, it sounds very self-indulgent to me when I describe it. Uh, <laughs> but it's supposed to be really good. So I'm actually really curious to see how that turns out. Um, but he's really great in the movie. Dakota Johnson's also a lot of fun. And uh, it really feels like 
you know, I don't think the movie is great by any means, but it just it just feels kind of nice and charming. It feels like you remember when like Little Miss Sunshine came out, and then <laughs> and then after that for like a couple of years, every Sundance movie was like a quirky dramedy with a couple of like big name actors in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what the peanut butter Fal- the peanut butter falcon is. That movie it feels like it's like a six or seven years too late. <laughs> but it is that kind of movie. So yeah, I, I think it's worth checking out. I saw it in theaters this past weekend, um, and uh, it's probably playing at an indie theater uh, nearby, uh, wherever you live, if you happen to live near an indie theater. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's The Peanut Butter Falcon. And then finally, uh, one more thing I wanted to uh, mention. Actually, two more things, but I'll be quick about them. Uh, first is uh, they put out a re-release of Apocalypse Now, the, uh, the 4K version, 4K remaster of Apocalypse Now, and it's a new cut of the movie. They're calling it The Final Cut. You've seen Apocalypse Now, I assume, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Probably I, Redux. I don't know if I've ever seen the original cut. Okay, I think I had only seen the original cut. Uh, I had never seen Redux. Um, but from what I understand, this final cut is actually shorter than the Redux version. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, so I, I, the, I guess the Redux version has been criticized for possibly putting in way too much into, <laughs> into Apocalypse <laughs> Now. Uh, this movie is actually like 20 minutes shorter than the Redux, which I think is like 40 minutes longer than the theatrical cut or whatever. But uh, anyway, so th- this kind of cut, basically, it's basically just cutting out a lot of the stuff in the Redux that was deemed like too much. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's actually, it's a really it's a really good cut of the movie. I think it's really solid. Um, there's still, uh, I, I had to look up what was in the Redux and what wasn't. Um, because I, I saw the movie once when I was in high school and haven't seen it since. Actually, the reason I watched the movie in high school, like I probably would have watched it eventually anyway. Um, but I did this big like a report on um, Vietnam War movies. Uh, I think uh-huh. we were we were studying the Vietnam War in history class or something, and we had to choose like a subject. So I was like, I'll do the Vietnam War on film, so that I have an excuse to watch a bunch of movies, um, which is how I did most of my um, essays. <laughs> that old tracks. <laughs> yeah. So I think I watched like you know Deer Hunter, and I watched. Uh, coming home, and I watched uh, Born on the Fourth of July, and I watched Platoon, uh, and I watched Apocalypse Now, which was by far my favorite one. I loved Apocalypse Now, uh, and I had never seen Redux, but this final cut I think is really, really great. Uh, the movie looks amazing. The 4K transfer is incredible, uh, and it's Apocalypse Now. It's awesome. Like, it's just really good. I think one of the most well-shot movies of all time. Uh, Marlon Brando, like Unreal, Dennis Hopper. I mean, he's one of my favorite supporting performances of all time. Uh, yeah. in, in this movie. Uh, and, I mean, there's so many great, like, actors popping up. Harrison Ford is in this movie. Like, Harris, yep. Harrison Ford just has, like, one scene in the movie. Uh, and, you know, Robert Duvall is uh, Kilgore, and there's just so much good stuff. And Lawrence Fishburne, too. Um, I was just gonna say, he's, like, 17 or something, right? Yeah, well, he's actually 14. He uh, There's a whole backstory about his... Uh, his character in the movie because Lawrence Fishburne uh, lied about his age to get the part in Apocalypse Now because um, they, wow. they were looking for somebody who was like 17 or 18 I think and he was 14 at the time and he was like yeah I'm 17 and they didn't check uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no rules in Hollywood then yeah well it, that, I mean the making of Apocalypse Now is one of the most insane making of stories of any movie in Hollywood history um, we said we'd be quick. We'll get to it in another episode. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, just go watch Hearts of Darkness if you haven't seen it. But anyway. Okay. Uh, Apocalypse Now, 4K Final Cut. Um, I don't know if it's still in theaters, um, but I know it's uh, it's on Blu-ray now. Because um, they, they put out a really nice like 4K Blu-ray, which includes the theatrical cut, it includes the redux, and it includes the final cut. Um, so you can compare and contrast to your heart's content. But yeah. Apocalypse Now, probably my favorite friend's 4K movie, honestly. And uh, definitely... Uh, worth uh, checking out the final cut if you haven't seen it yet. And then finally, just wanted to give a quick sh- shout out to Stranger Things season three. I finished it. Um, you did it. <laughs> I did How was it? it? It was fine. It was good. Uh, hey, it was. You know, I enjoyed it as much as I enjoy any season of Stranger Things. I feel like I have a pretty baseline. Like you know, I, th- like I think Stranger Things is a pretty good show, and it was a pretty good season. So there was that. All right, there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, and that I think wraps up our discussions for today, Mike. So let's move on into our uh, other segment called "You May Also Like." If you like this random movie, you may also. 
time for our uh, new segment on the show. We did this uh, during our last full episode, and we're doing it again now. It's called You May Also Like, where Mike and I kind of each act as your own personal Netflix algorithm. We've picked uh, three movies each that we think uh, would be uh, a good movie to watch right after you watch Ready or Not. Like, one of those things, if you're watching Ready or Not on Netflix, and, you know, the credits start rolling, and they turn into a little square in the top corner, <laughs> and then you get, like, three little other squares on the bottom corner, uh, these are the movies that those squares would be, right? <laughs> Yeah, or should be. Or should be, exactly. So I don't, uh, I don't know why there has to be this like moral imperative, but there is now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we, we're saying, all, what we're saying is that we know better than Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think, I think that's what we're trying to get at. Correct. Uh, all right, so Mike, uh, you can go first. What was your, what's your uh, first uh, movie recommendation here? My first pick uh, is, is a bit of a stretch, a little bit. Uh, but that is, oh man, I should have looked up the year, but the the original Wicker Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Wicker Man, I believe that was 1973. Are you the landlord here? I, I'm Alda McGregor, and you must be the policeman from the mainland. Ah, oh, that's right. Sergeant Harvey, West Highland Constabulary. Now, I'm quite obviously not going to get back to the mainland tonight, so I wondered if he had a room and a bite of supper I could have. I mean, could you manage that? I, I think that can be arranged. My daughter Willow will show you to your room. Willow? Father? This is Sergeant Howie, a policeman from the mainland who will be spending the night with us. This is my daughter, Willow. Good evening. Show the sergeant to his room. Much has been said of the strumpets of yore. Oh, when she's sent for the house queens by the score. But I sing of the baggage that we all adore. The landlord's daughter, you'll never love another. Although she's not the kind of girl to take home to your mother. When The Wicker Man was released in the U.S. theaters... Um, it was played as a double bill with um, Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now, which also came out in 1973. Uh, so there's that, which is, like, in retrospect, a pretty fucking great double bill right there. That is. It's on the Criterion Channel, or was, at least, uh, as watched, a double feature. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, oh, wait, is it, is it a double feature on the Criterion Channel, Don't Look Now? It was, Man? yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, the reason I'm picking The Wicker Man uh, is because it's this kind of... Uh, conspiracy thing, you know, uh, unsuspecting victim brought to a, a isolated place where everyone else is in on the game, okay. uh, where we're going to try to kill this person, you know, and there's like weird uh, pagan stuff going on, and, and yeah, that's that was the connection for Wicker Man. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, that's a good choice, I think. That's an unconventional one. That's not one that I thought of either, so uh, yeah, definitely a cool choice. The Wicker Man from 1973. Uh, all right, let's move on to mine. Uh, and this is the movie that um, Ready or Not reminded me of the most. When I was watching Ready or Not, I was like, man, this this really feels like this movie. Uh, this movie that I've been telling you to watch for years now, and you still haven't. <laughs> still haven't uh, gotten to it. And I'm still very upset about it. Uh, and that movie is uh, 2013's You're Next. Somebody should make a run for the cars and no, try to go no, get help. No, we can't go out there. Mom, it's the only way. It's the only way we're out of this. Whoever's the fastest runner, who, who is that? I'm the fastest, but I got this fucking arrow in my bed. What does your shoulder have to do with your legs? I'm the fastest. He has a fucking arrow in his back! Stop yelling at me, Kelly! Fuck! You know what it has to do with your legs? 
which was directed by Adam Wingard, who uh, went on to do The Guest, uh, and then the Blair Witch movie that nobody but me likes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Death Note, which even I couldn't excuse. That was a very bad uh, movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Working on Godzilla vs. Kong now. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, Adam Wingard, you're next. Uh, this is a horror comedy. Um, actually kind of fits into that mumblecore aspect of the horror movies that you were kind of talking about before. Uh, actually... Actually, it's considered mumble gore. Um, oh my god! Which is uh, <laughs> I hate and love that at the same time. Uh, but it features a lot of like prominent mumblecore directors in the movie, like Ty West, uh, Joe Swanberg, Amy Simetz. They're all like playing parts in the movie. Um, and Adam Wingard kind of got his start in that kind of movement too, as well. Um, but this is a horror comedy. It's extra gory. Uh, it's a home invasion thriller uh, centered on a very large family, and I think that's part of the reason why I was drawn, was reminded of it so much. Um, it's centered on a very large family. It's got a strong female lead who proves more capable at surviving than the killer expected. Uh, it is the movie I was really most reminded of while watching Ready or Not. And I feel like if you're gonna watch any movie, like uh, you know, no disrespect to your picks, Mike, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my picks are better. But but this pick. Was specifically i think is like the perfect movie to watch right after ready or not if you want the same kind of thing yeah Um, yeah that sounds pretty cool so yeah your next is my first uh, movie pick mike what's your number two well first i'm going to tell you i'm going to continue to not have watched your next uh but then anyway (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's my favorite game to play my second pick uh actually i had to phone a friend on this one i'll be honest Uh, this is this was uh, an assist from producer colin and that is cabin in the woods damn that was close Fucking finish. Mm. I don't understand. You're celebrating? They're celebrating. I'm drinking. But she's still alive. How can the ritual be complete? The virgin's death is optional as long as it's last. Main thing is that she, you know, suffers. That she did. It's so strange. I'm actually rooting for this girl. She's got so much heart. You think of all that. Pain and the hunt. Tequila is my lady! My lady! Come on in, guys. Come on in, come on in. You're welcome. Tequila! From darkness, there is light! And this is a horror comedy that I feel like kind of turns uh, the genre on its head a little bit. Uh, not that I, Ready or Not kind of does that a little bit. Uh, you know, sort of self-aware thing going on. Yeah. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, very meta. I don't think I really need to explain Cabin in the Woods to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> At least, I would hope none of our listeners haven't seen... Ready or not? Nope. Haven't seen Cabin Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. That's the one. But yeah, yeah, I think this is, it's got more uh, weird ritual stuff going on. Uh, A little taste of that in Cabin in the Woods. And yeah, horror comedy, this is completely aware of the genre and stuff that it's working in. Uh, So yeah, I think, thanks for the assist, Colin. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Colin, for that one. Cabin in the Woods uh, from 2012, directed by Drew Goddard and uh, co-written by him and Joss Whedon as well. Uh, Yeah, I am a big fan of that movie. I think that's a good pick, too. Uh, and now I'm going uh, completely left field for my next pick, Mike. Mm, yes, uh, what's that? We are, we are stepping outside the realm of horror for this one. You know, when when I thought when I was thinking about movies to pair with Ready or Not, I was thinking I was thinking about like deadly game movies. I was trying to think mm-hmm. like I, I don't want them to all be horror movies. I should think about like movies where somebody's playing a game and there's life threatening stakes and that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I just thought of like Running Man or something. Right. That would have been a good one, actually. <laughs> I, I, I kind of regret not picking that one now. So thanks <laughs> Sorry. for that. But I, I thought to myself like, hmm. Maybe Jumanji, right? Because you know? Jumanji's a, a big one, you know. And I was a big fan of Jumanji as a kid. Um, but I thought, you know, that might be too obvious. You know, I, I was 
<laughs> Which, I need one more layer. I need one more layer for this. Because, you know, Jumanji is an ongoing franchise now. Everybody's going right. to see Jumanji movies every couple of years for the next decade or so. Uh, <laughs> probably. I mean, I mean saying, most likely. Jumanji 2 was a ridiculously big hit. I don't know how that happened. But <laughs> it's pretty but, good, though. Yeah, I thought it was fine. But anyway, <laughs> but, but Jumanji 3 is coming out in December, and I'm sure if that's successful, there will be a Jumanji 4 or whatever, which is weird to think of them as Jumanji 2 and 3 because they're so far removed from the original Jumanji. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Jumanji is an ongoing franchise. I didn't want to just kind of dump, dive into something that's already kind of a thing. Uh, so I thought, you know, Jumanji's too obvious, but you know what movie uh, came out in like the mid-2000s that uh, really carried the Jumanji torch that nobody talks about? Zathora! <laughs> And listen to me. Dad put me in charge until he got home, which means you guys need to do what I say. Do me a favor. Go downstairs and stay out of my face. But it's an emergency. Is the house on fire? No. Is anyone hurt? No, but... Then leave. Lisa, please. We're really scared. Can you just watch what this game does? If this is some weird kind of joke you guys are trying to pull, you're dead. No, no, it's, no, it's, it's not, not a joke. joke. Here, watch it. Watch it. Okay, um... So, wind the key. All right. So, I'm winding the key. Yeah, see? And then push the button. Down. Push it down. Yeah. I'm pushing the button. So, and then the number winds, and whatever the number is, like nine, nine, then your ship, the blue ship, because the red ship is mine, I got a five, so then it goes to nine, which would be that thing. All right. And then the card's going to pop out. The card. The card. The card! The card. Oh! Here's the, card. the scary part. All right. You're promoted to a starship captain. Move ahead two spaces. Fascinating. <laughs> Zephora, Mike. <laughs> I'll be honest. When you texted me that you were picking that, I had to Google it to make sure I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> so I think it's a great pick is what yeah, I'm saying. There you go. I, I, I will preface this by saying I have not seen Zephora since, like, 2006. Uh, nice. <laughs> I think I saw it the one time after it came out. But I remember liking it a lot. I remember having a lot of fun with the movie uh, because I was a big Jumanji fan. Um, but Zathora was basically the same thing, but in space. Uh, and <laughs> what's not to love about that? You know, it was like a sci-fi version of Jumanji, uh, and I think it fits in with the uh, the deadly games aspect of Ready or Not. Uh, there is also this movie has a very young Kristen Stewart um, yep. before Twilight. She plays with the older sister, and a very young Josh Hutcherson before Hunger Games, also in the movie too. Um, and I have this very vivid memory for some. Re- I don't know why this is stuck with me because I don't remember a ton about Zathora. But I remember this very specifically, uh, where at one point during the game, Kristen Stewart um, gets frozen in ice. Uh, like, she's just, like, frozen solid and is stuck like that for the rest of the movie. Um, and I just remember the image of her being frozen ha- has, like, stayed in my mind since, like, 2006. And I don't know why. <laughs> it's, wow. I think it, like, really terrified me when, <laughs> when I saw it, like the, like, the concept of just being, like, immobile and, like, I, I don't know. It was very... It- very free, even more out. than carbonite which you would have seen earlier than this uh yeah i guess so <laughs> I that's, mean, I, that's amazing i love it uh yeah i mean i think because carbonite it's like in carbonite and empire strikes back like it's a thing where you han solo gets you know dropped into the thing and he comes out and it's like a block of you know a block of ice and it's like him making this like weird pose uh whereas zathora it's like suddenly like kristen stewart's just suddenly frozen and he's like oh, oh she like she's not in a block of ice she's no, actually she's, she's like legit legit frozen like it's ice <laughs> encasing her but she's not like, in a block amazing. it's like oh, that's yeah awesome. 
Uh, and I think it just really freaked me out when I was a kid. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, so that, that image has stuck with me for some reason. But, yeah, Zathora. I'm going with that for uh, the Netflix recommendation. I think it's probably the weirdest choice uh, that I'll yeah. have here. But uh, I think it's, it's worth checking out. Again, I haven't watched it since I was, like, 13. Uh, but I enjoyed it a lot back then. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like it might hold up. Also directed by uh, John Favreau before Iron Man came out. Wow. Um, so it was kind of his, it was kind of his first um, stab at like doing like kind of big spectacle stuff too. That's uh, awesome. So and, you need to watch that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I think probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't ever revisit it. Don't ruin the nostalgia. <laughs> exactly. Nobody. If it's bad, nobody tell Mike. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So Zathora is my uh, my next pick. Mike, what's your uh, final pick for you? May also like. My last pick is a bit of a stretch on this one also. Uh, so I recently, or, yeah, recently rewatched this movie yesterday. <laughs> um, uh, very recently. Very recently. Uh, and I haven't seen it in a long time. And it's the, of the, this director's movies, it's probably the one I've seen the least of all the ones I've seen. Which is insane uh, to me, but yeah. Which is bizarre. And that is, uh, I guess I'll just say Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. Or or whatever. Well, Kill Bill, uh, Bill Volumes One and Two, I guess, right? That's, volume One and Two, yeah, whatever. Uh, the whole whatever bloody affair version. isn't the whole bloody affair isn't available to watch in any like any way outside of the occasional thirty five millimeter screen of the New Beverly Cinema, basically. Oh, really? I thought it was like a Blu ray thing. Okay, oh no, the whole, the whole bloody affair is not available. I've, I've been dying to watch the whole bloody affair of my entire life. <laughs> See, I've so, I've so infrequently versed in uh, Kill Bill, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Looked dead, didn't I? Well, I wasn't. But it wasn't from lack of trying, I can tell you that. Actually, Bill's last bullet put me in a coma. A coma I was to lie in for four years. When I woke up, I went on what the movie advertisements refer to as a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared, and I rampaged, and I got bloody satisfaction. I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. Volume one and two, uh, specifically, I guess volume one. That's what I watched yesterday. Yeah, uh, but yeah, just Kill Bill in general. Uh, and it, there's the end credits. It says like uh, based on the character of the Bride by Q and U or something. I forget what the letters are. Right. Uh, but yeah, it said like the Bride, and I was like, huh. Well, wait a second. <laughs> there's a bride in Ready or Not. <laughs> there's a bride in Ready or Not. Um, yeah, and that's basically the whole connection. Uh, revenge movie kind of thing. Um, super bloody. Uh, Ready or Not, honestly, wasn't as gory as I was expecting or hoping for. It is very violent and gory. Like, it definitely has that. But uh, yeah. I guess nothing can quite live up to Kill Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that crazy 88 fight, for sure, yeah. yeah. Which I had to text you about. was like, is this in black and white just to uh, avoid, like, an NC-17 rating because of all the yeah, blood? That, that is yeah. why that is, that is the case. <laughs> Out, outside of America, that's in color. Um, what? And supposedly in The Whole Bloody Affair, that's in color also, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Kill Bill. Watch it. It's great. Yeah, Kill Bill, man. I uh, I also rewatched that recently um, because I was rewatching all the Tarantino movies before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The difference was that I've seen Kill Bill um, more times than I can probably count 
Uh, right. Like, you know, that's a movie that I watched for the first time when I was like 16 in high school and became obsessed with it in the same way that I became obsessed with Pulp Fiction and a couple other Tarantino movies uh, and just like kind of wore out those DVDs and, you know, watched it multiple times in high school. And when I was in college, like it was a big movie with me and my roommates and we would watch it over and over again. I, I'm amazed that you made it through going to college with me and not I, having seen Kill Bill uh, in that time. <laughs> I know. That's the in, in, insane to me. I can't believe that yeah. happened. Like when I, when I rewatch it this summer... Um, there was a point where I was like, I could probably mute this and just like recite the dialogue on its own. I, I, I had not seen the movie in like five years at that point. Um, wow. But yeah, so Kill Bill, it's awesome. And that's a good pick for, uh, for your You May Also Like, Mike. And then I got one more here. Uh, here it's another one that um, I, I actually thought of this like 20 minutes ago. Like, no. Or 20 minutes before we started recording the podcast because now we're like an hour deep into this thing. But, oh boy. Uh, originally, I was going to pick um, another horror movie that had come out earlier this year um, called Escape Room. Um, which right. is a pretty good horror movie. I enjoyed it, and I picked it because it was like, you know, it's sort of a similar thing where it's like it's a horror movie, and it's like kind of this, you know, thing that's meant to be fun that turns very deadly and that kind of thing. Uh, and then I thought, and then I, I was kind of just scrolling through the internet, and I saw the poster for Beetlejuice. You know what's really beautiful about this? You two kids picked me. You didn't have to, but you picked me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come no. On. Give me one. No. Come on. Come on. All right, let's get down to it. You're right. I got a card around here somewhere. Here, here. Who do I have to kill? Here, hold that for me, would you? Whoa! Oh, there, you, there you go. You don't have to kill anybody. Ah, possession gun. Learn to throw your voice. Fool your friends. Fun and party. <gasps> no, we just want to get some people out of our house. Ah, I understand. I understand. Well, look, in order to do that, I'm really going to have to get to know you guys. You know, we got to get closer. Move in with you for a while. Get to be real pals. You know what I'm saying? In... <laughs> My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. Go ahead, shoot. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Uh, I saw the poster for Beetlejuice. And I saw Winona Ryder, Lydia, uh, in a wedding dress. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? The Beetlejuice would be a good match for this. Because here's the thing. The wedding's gone awry theme <laughs> yeah. is, is in both movies. Uh, so Beetlejuice, of course, Tim Burton, 1988. Comedy horror movie with this very gleeful sense of anarchy, which I think fits in with Ready or Not as well. Um, and it ends where Ready or Not begins, essentially. Lydia is meant to be Beetlejuice's bride at the end. Like Lydia summons Beetlejuice and he says he'll help her, but only if she marries him. And it's a whole thing where like this wedding's about to happen and like crazy shit's going down. Uh, so essentially, like the opening scene of Ready or Not, if you just swap the structures of the movies, like the climax of Beetlejuice is that scene. So Beetlejuice way, is the prequel to Ready or Not, is what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. If, okay. If, if 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 Beetlejuice and Lydia had gone through it at the end. <laughs> Uh, if Leah actually married Beetlejuice, uh, it could lead directly into Ready or Not, is what I'm saying. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I buy saying. it. Yeah, that all tracks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's what I'm saying. Uh, basically, this is just my excuse to recommend Beetlejuice, because it's a great <laughs> movie. Uh, one of Tim Burton's best. Um, but uh, I, I just, uh, I, I saw the poster and I was like, you know what? Bride. All right. Let's, <laughs> I mean, same, kind of, though. Yeah, kind of the same way that you were with Kill Bill. You're like, oh, bride. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so to recap our picks, uh, mine was your next Zathora uh, and Beetlejuice. And uh, Mike, you had what were your three? I have uh, the original Wicker Man. I yep. have uh, Cabin in the Woods, 
and Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, just because okay. they're one movie. Also, uh, one movie popped in my head, I have an honorable mention, uh, I've never seen this movie, <laughs> but Tag, because they're, they're playing Hide and, hide and Go Seek in Ready or Not, and, now they're and, playing tag, tag, and, they're, tag, and they're playing yeah. Tag. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I've seen Tag, I actually saw Tag on an airplane, so I didn't actually get the full experience because it was censored. Um, oh my god. But uh, but it's a pretty funny it's a pretty funny movie it's a pretty funny comedy uh, so I would yeah I would say rec- I would recommend tag I why, why not yeah there you go uh, all right so I think that brings us to the end of the segment Mike so let's move on into the main course uh, let's talk about ready or not I can't believe that in half an hour I will be a part of the Ladomus gaming dynasty empire uh, Dominion we prefer Dominion. I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family. There's just one more thing. And then you are officially part of the family. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere we then try to find you so there's no way for me to win right and stay hidden till dawn <laughs> no thank you good luck all right that was from the trailer for ready or not the new movie uh, written by guy Busick and r christopher murphy and directed by matt Bettinelli open and tyler Gillette. it stars samara weaving adam brody mark o'brien henry cerny andy mcdowell and christian brune among others and the imdb plot synopsis for ready or not reads A bride's wedding night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. Uh, Which, I will say, before we we get any further, I want to say that uh, there's one scene in the movie where Samara Weaving pronounces the word game really weird, and I've been thinking about it, like, nonstop since I saw the movie. (laughs) You just hooked on it? I I, I can't stop thinking about it. It's it's early on when he explains, uh, when her husband explains to her, like, what's going on. Uh, Mm -hmm. like, so at midnight, we have to play a game. And she kind of has this face, like, a game. What <laughs> game? <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah, like uh, it's just the, the combination of like her facial expression. Like I love it. I think it's like just really. I think it's what it is. She's. I think she's Australian and she's doing an American accent in the movie. I think, and I think it's her Australian accent like peeking out. Yeah. Um, but she's like a game. What? <laughs> what game? Uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about it nonstop since the movie came out. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> I am so glad that that has happened to you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so ready or not, I mean, this, uh, this is a movie that, um, wasn't really on my radar, honestly, uh, up until like a month or two ago. Um, this ended up kind of being a sort of late summer surprise, uh, in a yeah. lot of ways. Uh, like I, I saw the trailer for this kind of rant, like I knew nothing about it again. I, I was excited when I found out this was a radio silence thing. Um, because I didn't know that Radio Silence had been making movies for, for several years. <laughs> I thought they years. did that one thing. I thought they did the one short, and then, then they never went anywhere or something. They were like an internet thing, or maybe like made some YouTube videos or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I had no idea they kept making movies this entire time. Um, so with Ready or Not, which is definitely their most high-profile movie since then, uh, I, I was surprised that uh, it was them. And, uh, you know, I, I saw the trailer like two months ago in front of uh, some random movie, and I was surprised by just how good this movie looked. I like. Because again, usually, usually when I see a trailer for something, I already know what the movie is. Even if I haven't seen the trailer, like I'm pretty deeply entrenched in like you know the movies that are coming out. 
uh, over the next several months, and so I know like what's going to be coming out. Ready or not, I had never heard of. I had never heard of this movie, and that's what kind of made it a bit of a surprise, and I was surprised by how good it looked based on the trailer, too. So did you did you have a similar experience, Mike? I mean, did you see the trailer while you were in a theater at some point, and like, that's kind of what got your interest uh, level going up? Yeah, I went to see, uh, it was before Hobbs and Shaw, actually. Okay. Um, was the first time I had seen the trailer for it, and I was with my parents, and even they were, like, cracking up. And I was like, that is bizarre. <laughs> uh, but I am very interested in whatever this movie is. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I kind of did the, uh, you know, like, unsullied thing. Like, once I became aware of it and saw, like, oh, I actually want to really see this, I went out of my way to, like, avoid stuff about it. Okay. Um so yeah, that's that was my introduction, and like it was a month ago, basically. When I was right. show, like I saw it two weeks before it came out, and was like, I got to see this movie. It comes out now. Great, awesome. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, more movies should do that. Just be like, hey, it's coming out now, and it looks great. Awesome. Uh, tonight after the Super Bowl. <laughs> every time, every time, put that at the end of the trailer, yeah. premiering tonight after the Super Bowl. No matter if the Super Bowl is happening tonight or not, it's just... Yeah, August, put it in there. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so Ready or Not, we've both seen the movie now. Mike, what did you think of Ready or Not? Um, I had a blast with Ready or Not. It's just like a goof. It's a big old horror goof, Uh, and that's (laughs) so much fun. Like, I don't know how else to put it. It seems very low budget, like, and I think it was more of a, like, uh, like I just mentioned, like, I saw the trailer two weeks before I saw the movie. I didn't even know this existed, and it was just like... I'm gonna go, and it it was good. It was really good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it plays around with the horror tropes and stuff. Uh, it has good action, good violence, good gore stuff. Um, uh, not as much as I would have like hoped. I think if it had done like you know like just full blown like ultra violence stuff, would have been a lot more fun to fit that like low budget exploitation itch that I have for every movie. Right. Um, <laughs> but this is still very sleek. The performances are really good. It's funny when it needs to be, and very funny at times. Um, and I just, I had a blast. I had a good yeah. time. Yeah. I, uh, I also had some fun with this movie. I was surprised to find out it wasn't a Blumhouse joint. Yeah. Um, because it seems like a Blumhouse joint, uh, when you're watching it. Uh, it just seems like that kind of thing, very low budget, uh, you know, kind of high concept horror stuff. Uh, it's actually a Fox Searchlight movie. Uh, which, yeah, which is right. very, ab- it's very abnormal for Fox Searchlight. They usually do like, you know, f- like, you know, art house, indie, Oscar contenders type thing. Uh, and also now it's a Disney movie too, I guess, which is a little weird. Um, but I think what's kind of encouraging about it is that, you know, what's been happening is that Disney has been apparently pretty unsatisfied with the, uh, the box office take that the Fox movies that they've acquired have gotten so far this year. Um, which granted that's like, you know, your dark Phoenixes and things like that. So that makes sense. Uh, but with ready or not, it had a budget of $6 million, not very high. Uh, and it's already made back like four or five times its budget. Um, so it's, it's almost like mix, making a case for the low budget original, uh, movie, uh, out there. So we'll see if Disney ends up listening to that or whatever, if they slash Fox or <laughs> entirely, we'll see. Well, uh, they already canceled like 400 movies or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so not looking great. No. Not looking great. But the important thing is ready or not, got to slip through the cracks. So there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there is that. Uh, and I had a fun time with this movie. I think it's a very clever concept. I think it's funny. Uh, it is gory. I think you're right that it's not as gory as maybe it should be um yeah <laughs> i think i think maybe it pulled back a little bit but uh i also think uh when it is gory it's pretty gory uh yeah so there is that uh and it goes to some very absurd places uh which i loved and it doesn't really shy away from getting dark when it wants to also <laughs> no. um and at the center of it all the uh there's a terrific performance from samara weaving um she is great in this movie uh, this feels like a huge breakout role for her have you seen her in anything else before this movie mike i no. before this movie no, no. okay 
Well, I think you had seen it. She was in Mayhem also, which I think you watched recently, right? Oh, the day after I watched Ready or Not. Okay. I, was, I was actually thinking you might pick that one as one of your you might also likes because she was in the movie. But uh, Yeah, that seemed too too much of a... too obvious. I was trying okay. to look and see if that was a Radio Silence movie, but I can't tell. No, I don't think... that's that's That movie's directed by uh, Joe Lynch. It's Joe Lynch, yeah. Yeah, who did uh, The Knights of Badassdom a few years ago. Yes. Um, which is a movie I did not like very much. I really wanted to like... Uh, I, I thought about picking that even because I was like, Did oh, really? it's a silly game that goes wrong. But I was like, it's not that great of a movie. So Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> so close. Uh, but anyway, Samara Weaving, I mean, she's had like kind of bit parts here and there. I think she was the lead in a movie called The Babysitter, um, which was a Netflix joint that was directed by McGee, uh, which I heard was not uh, – I didn't hear, really hear that much about other than that it's not great. And McGee's not a great filmmaker, so there's <laughs> that. Uh, but she was, she was also a supporting role in uh, Three Billboards Outside Edding, Missouri. Um, and she was, like, the funniest character in the movie. Like, she was fantastic in that movie. Uh, and I'm hoping to see a lot more of her in the future based on this movie. Uh, she's actually already been cast as Bill's daughter in the new Bill and Ted movie. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I'm fucking ex- I'm stoked for. Uh, that so. seems like a pretty huge leap. Uh, yeah. So hopefully this catapults her to new heights. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, but she's great in this movie. I think um, she's, like, a really great uh, – I think she could have a great career as a horror scream queen. Um, just basically, oh, yeah. there's, there's one scream she has towards the end of the movie that's also just been like stuck in my mind <laughs> since then. I think she, I think she does it a bunch in Mayhem too, because there's a does moment she? where she's screaming, and I was like, that sounds like the same scream from, <laughs> from Ready or Not, and I'm kind of freaked out that it's yeah. like her scream, and I'm like weirded out by it. Have you ever seen the Blowout with John Travolta, the Bride Paul movie? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh man, you, I mean, you got to, but there's like the the last line of the movie is John Travolta like, kind of putting his head in his hands, going like. It was a good scream, and like that was me, like the. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That was me watching. <laughs> Ready or not? Holy but shit! That, that was a good scream. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's great in the movie, uh, and the whole ensemble. I think it's just a lot of fun to watch the movie. I especially really liked seeing Andy McDowell in this kind of movie. What's um, she been doing? Because hell yeah. Yeah, I mean she she was in um, Magic Mike XXL uh, a few <laughs> years ago, and again she was pretty funny in that movie too. Um, but yeah, she hasn't really been doing a whole lot, I feel like, since like the mid-90s probably. <laughs> it's yeah. probably the last time I saw Andy McDowell in like a lot of stuff. And she really, I, I, I don't think she's done a ton of like horror movies, like Ready or Not. Uh, so uh, I was pretty just psyched to see her in this kind of role. Uh, and Christian Brune, who was on Orphan Black, um, which I never watched, but he's on Comedy Dying Bang all the time. And he's, he's hilarious <laughs> in that show. Uh, he plays the guy who, who is married into the family that no one likes. Uh, he's great. <laughs> he's, a, he's a delight in the movie. Uh, also, Adam Brody is in this movie. Uh, yeah. we're, I think 2019 is like the beginning of the Adam brody assance uh, I don't know. <laughs> the only one to survive the OC. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he popped up at the end of Shazam, and now he's in Ready or Not. And, uh, you know, could, could be the next big thing. The Adam Brody-verse. Uh, Here we go, be, baby. Could be happening soon. So, uh, yeah, I think the whole ensemble is a ton of fun. Did you have any, like, standout um, characters that you wanted to spotlight? Any, any Mike? Um, I think the the brother-in-law the the guy you just mentioned is the funniest like the okay, most yeah. standout for me uh but also andy mcdowell and uh the the dad i don't remember his uh, name. henry cerny is the actor's name yeah yeah henry cerny he's great too because he seems like one of those guys that should be like like a kind of uh, uh like john slattery type like right. really like i don't know he's just got that like old distinguished gentleman look uh yeah. but then just devolves into like silly goofy jokes and stuff uh like just being right. mad that we keep shooting the wrong people and stuff and, yes uh it's just fun i, I, I was just they, they him and andy luke mcdowell look 
looks so much like one type of role that they are playing the the foil to, which was a lot, and it makes the movie a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, the movie kind of dumps a lot of exposition on you at first. Uh, and I, I would say not a lot of it makes sense when you first hear it. You're like, okay, there's some kind of like weird shit going on with the family and their fortune and like whatever happened back in history. Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. but, but it like never like, it doesn't like stray on that stuff and kind of just plays it like kind of fast and loose and the family kind of, the family even kind of like plays it off. It's like, yeah, we know this is silly, but they also take it very seriously. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that. And it's, it, I think it helps to establish how batshit insane the family is. Um, while pointing out that they themselves don't realize how insane they are. I think that's even a line in the movie at some point. I think Adam Brody says that. Or maybe it was the husband who says that, who says, like, I, I got out because uh, like, I realized like how insane this thing was, and then I <laughs> realized, like, I didn't think it was that insane, though, and that kind of thing, or right. something along those lines. But yeah, I appreciated that. And, uh, again, all, all the actors are just really good at playing it very matter-of-factly. Yeah. Um, like, you know, like, I think Henry Cerny has, like, like the way he reads the line um, where he's explaining hide-and-seek, <laughs> to Samara Weaving, um, and he's like, oh, so the game is, you know, hide and seek, you know, just go hide, and we find you. And, just, and she's like, so there's no way for me to win this game. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, well, stay hidden until dawn. Like, <laughs> yeah. like just matter like, of uh-huh. fact, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I appreciated that. Just the, just the ensemble bouncing off each other and the way this movie kind of plays around with, um, with expectations and uh, violence and a couple of really good you know, structured uh, scares. Uh, it was, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I also want to highlight uh, the actress that's playing, like, the sister, or, like, the aunt, I guess. Right. That seems like a rege- like, could would have been, like, Cloris Leachman if this was made by Mel Brooks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that would have been yeah. that character, you know? Yeah, honestly, I was considering a clue as one of my, uh, oh. <laughs> as one of my recommendations. Yeah. Uh, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, actually. <laughs> yeah, so I maybe should have thrown that in there. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it sort of feels like a rejected Clue character. Uh, yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But, yeah, all right. Any other uh, thoughts about the movie, Mike, before we move on to spoilers? Uh, no, I think we should just get on to spoilers. All right, let's do that. Let's get into spoilers for Ready or Not, starting right now. All right, spoilers for Ready or Not starting right now. So we got to talk about the ending of this movie. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. Because the ending is truly bonkers uh, in a way that I haven't seen a movie in 2019. I mean, I've seen some bonkers stuff here and there, but this feels like, you know, a uniquely bonkers. I've been yeah. saying the word bonkers a lot over the last 30 seconds, but uh, it's bonkers. <laughs> there's no way I no would describe it. It's a bonkers ending. Uh, so basically what happens uh, throughout the movie, you, you start to get a sense of what the family's history was. Uh, and sort of gradually revealed that um, sometime in the past, uh, the ancestor, grandfather, whatever of the family, uh, made a pact with the devil, and that allowed them to gain all their riches in the gaming industry, basically. Right. Uh, or, or not, or if not the devil, and some kind of demon or whatever. Um, yeah. They call they call him by a name. I forget what the name. Is. So the idea is that um, the the only trade off is that anytime someone new enters the family, uh, they have to play a game, uh, and or a a game. Uh, uh, and, you know, from this, like, randomly selected card machine or whatever. And there's one bad card in the deck, which is hide-and-seek, which is what Samara Weaving draws. Uh, and if you get hide-and-seek, then that's, like, a death hunt, basically, which we've right. been talking about this entire time. But the family has to do this, or else they believe that they will all die if they don't kill Samara Weaving. Like, right. because The family because will die. The family themselves will all die if Samara Weaving doesn't. They have to do, like, a whole ritual sacrifice with her. Uh, to satisfy this deal with the devil that their ancestor made, like, decades ago. So, when the end of the movie happens, um, the movie start, starts playing with the idea that everything the family believes is fake, right? right. 
it starts playing with that idea, and you kind of get that sense throughout the movie where somebody, like, every once in a while, a family member will be like, "Do we have to do this?" Like, I don't think, I, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know? and it's that never kind happened of thing. before. It's never happened before, but like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so the movie plays around with the idea that, like, you know, maybe this whole thing is bullshit, and the family is just like been brainwashed into believing this lie or whatever. And then the movie, the sunrise happens. Then Samara Weaving's still alive. And so they didn't kill her at the very end. She managed to survive up until dawn. Uh, and nothing's happening. Like, no, like yeah. the characters all freak out because they see the sun. And then nothing's happening. And it, play, and it plays it long enough where the audience starts to believe that nothing will happen. I think. Yeah. You know, like, I, I sort of expected it to be like, all right, nothing's happening. And then suddenly, boom, things happen. Right. Uh, but it actually plays it, like, long enough where characters are able to, like, start talking and, like, start questioning their faith and, like, what's going on with the, this whole thing. Uh, like, questioning their entire lives and they're starting to, like, apologize to her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which was very funny. And then after, like, it's like somebody's, like, mid-sentence. I think it's Christian Brune who explodes first. Um, I think it's the my, grandma, right? Or oh, the it might aunt. be the, it might be her who explodes first. But anyway, everybody in the family just starts exploding. <laughs> literally exploding. <laughs> like, literally exploding. Blood everywhere. Uh, just like, so, and it happens so suddenly, and it, it's so shocking when it happens. Uh, yeah. Because so much time has passed between sunrise and when it, <laughs> and when it happens. Uh, and it's only like a couple of minutes, but it feels like, you know, a lengthy couple of minutes. Like enough time where it's like, oh, I guess it must be fake. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it turns out everything the family believed was real because they didn't kill Samara Weaving. Everybody in the family explodes, and it's just like one after the other. Like somebody explodes, this person explodes. I think my favorite moment is when the mom and the two kids yep. run off screen, and and you hear three separate explosions and three blood things just like fly through the door. Yeah, uh, which was great. I, I I I believe that had to have happened because they were uncomfortable exploding two kids on screen. On screen. Yeah, probably. And so they did it off screen, uh, but I think that was even funnier. Like I think just like it just made it a funnier moment for me. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and I think my biggest laugh of, in the entire movie is um, when all of that ends um, and, you know, like, the husband is the last one to explode and she's like, I want a divorce, and he explodes. Uh, and then after all that happens, the demon, like, briefly appears in a chair um, and, like, you're sitting in this, like, brief thing of fire and he looks at her and, like, nods and disappears again. And then she just kind of, like, is standing there covered in blood, just, like, looking back at the chair and looking around the room at her and she just kind of goes, Fuck! <laughs> 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 Which would have been a great like smash cut to black roll credits, right. <laughs> but Which, I like the the payoff after that. Yeah, I mean, then the, you get kind of move past that, and like the house is on fire, uh, and you know ambulances start showing up and firefighters, and somebody asks her, somebody asks her, like, "Man, what happened here?" And the final line of the movie is she's like sitting down in the soup, she's like smoking a cigarette on the porch, and she's like, "In laws." <laughs> <laughs> cut to credits and that was like a perfect it felt like the entire first 94 minutes of the movie are set up just for that joke i swear <laughs> to god i think it is it's <laughs> like so perfect uh it was just perfectly timed perfectly executed like that's it just felt great it felt right uh so yeah i, I love the whole ending of the movie like that to me is like the highlight of the whole thing yeah yeah it, it also reminded me uh to colin's credit uh, the scene in Cabin in the Woods when the elevator doors open and all of the monsters come out and just everything explodes into blood. <laughs> it's another great uh, touchstone for that movie here. Uh, but yeah, that that moment, I think it's the ant. Because somebody says, like, well, what do we do with her now? And the ant's like, the girl still dies and charges at her and then she explodes. 
Uh, and then, and then it all starts, and I just love that. It's so fucking weird. It's just that's, like, yeah, that was a great impression of the ant, by the way. Thank good. you. <laughs> Ten out of ten. Actually, I did the voiceover for the ant. Actually, oh, you did. You did all yeah, the yeah. ADR. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe you should have dubbed over some art weaving saying game. It's, it's a cage level line reading choice. I really love it. Like, I, I, I feel I, I don't want to be misconstrued here. I love the line reading for for her saying the word game. Or game. <laughs> we can solve this if you just find a clue if it's in the if it's in the trailer and you put it in. But I actually don't. I'd prefer to just be you the whole episode. Just, just, just be saying game yes. the entire time. What a, what a great like eat the rich movie. Also, I love and they even she uh, uh, what's her name in the in this? I can't remember the character's name. Sorry. Yeah, I want to say Danny, but that's from Midsummer. That's Midsummer. I think it's Grace. Grace. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, even says after she escapes and she like gets through the fence and she stops that guy driving by and he's yeah. like get the fuck out of the road and drives by and she's like <laughs> fucking rich people it's like yes it's yeah. the movie we needed in 2019 <laughs> yeah so like imagine this is that was my thing with get my gun is like it ends with this shit but the first half was just a straight mumblecore drama that <laughs> is doing this kind of like you'd be dead now but right. without the insanity of the first half uh, <laughs> That makes sense, yeah. So it's like just like uh, like an hour twenty of just like people talking in the city, and then like suddenly they're th- putting nails through their hands. And- yeah, it's yeah, and like on the go C sections and stuff. It's like wait right. a second, <laughs> none of this makes sense. But yeah, but we you, we mentioned uh, Adam Brody's kind of redemption arc throughout the movie. I think that's actually really solid. Uh, I re- I really like the juxtaposition between him and the husband character played by Mark O'Brien. Yeah, um, because the movie opens with a flashback to um, when they were kids. Um, and it shows them like kind of running through, uh, and young Mark O'Brien's like really scared. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, and young Adam Brody kind of puts him in a closet, uh, and is like, wait here, it'll all be okay. And then the person that they're hunting, like enters the room and she's like, oh, like, it's going to be okay. Like, you don't, don't say anything about whatever. And then young Adam Brody just starts shouting, she's in here. Like he's like also indoctrinated or whatever, like the kid is in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Um, but then by the end of the movie, you know, Adam Brody has been portrayed as like this, like kind of alcoholic guy, kind of a douchebag. Uh, and he doesn't really want to be participating in any of this, but he's just kind of going along for the ride. Uh, and Mark O'Brien, uh, the kid who was hiding in the closet, who was scared of it all, um, has been out of the family for years at this point, but he came back in because she wanted to get married. Uh, which was also a very funny line um, in the movie, too, where he's trying to explain it. He's like, hey, you wanted to get married. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, I think I think he and Christian from Midsummer would get along really well. Oh, um. God, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's actually, that could have even been a pairing. Uh because oh, yeah. it, it ends with the smirk of the girlfriend. Uh, yeah, actually, that's both, true. Both of them as they watch their boyfriends die. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it, it kind of you know, the movie positions him as like the good guy at first, like he's trying to get her out of the, of the house and everything. Um, but <laughs> as it goes on, he starts to like embrace his place within the family, and then he betrays her at the end. Right. Uh, whereas, whereas Adam Brody. Uh, finds redemption. He actually saves her. He uh, does he kill Andy McDowell? Is that who he kills? I um, think so. Okay. No, yeah. she does with the box. Uh, he kills oh, one yes. of the sisters, I think. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but so he uh, ends up finding redemption, and he gets killed um, by someone else. I think by. Does I think kill by each Andy. other. I think it's like they shoot each other, him and the sister. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's like say, protecting Samara yeah. Weaving as he's doing it. Yeah. yeah, it's been like two weeks since in the movie, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, but yeah, so I found his redemption arc um, kind of contrasted with Mark O'Brien's betrayal arc to be uh, really cool. 
uh, and I like the way they did that. Um, and otherwise, yeah, just the batshit insane stuff that's happening in the movie. It's crazy Satanist cult stuff, and I enjoy watching it. <laughs> I enjoy yeah. watching that. Uh, yeah, any other uh, scenes, highlights you want to throw out there, Mike? Um, I think just the recurring bit that the butler messes shit up because he likes to sing loudly. Because, uh, <laughs> like, he's in the kitchen, and he definitely would have caught her when she's loading the elephant gun. Uh, but he's right. singing. Is it the 1812 Overture? I forget what he's singing. Oh, uh, yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's like some famous classical piece. Uh, <laughs> and she is able to load the elephant gun, and uh, I wish, man, I wish they had shown that. Like, I wish that had been been used. Be- only because it's in, like, the posters and, like, all that stuff. And, like, her with the, the, the like, you know, bandolier of ele- shotgun shells and right, the big yeah. elephant gun shotgun. It was like, oh, man, that would have been awesome. <laughs> but it would have been too easy if she had a gun. Um, sure, I guess that's true. Uh, and then uh, the FaceTime crash, which was epic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, I also really liked, um, I, I liked how traditional the family seemed at first. Like, they were like, you know, oh, we turn off the security cameras so we can't right. watch you and that kind of thing. And we only use weapons that were available in Grandfather's Day and that kind of thing. Uh, but then, like, as the night grows increasingly more desperate, they're just like, fuck it, let's turn on the security cameras. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I just like the way the uh, the family starts to unravel as the night goes on and get more and more, like, insane yeah. um, because the time is running out and that kind of thing. Uh, played very well, for sure. Yeah, and I love the uh, the sacrifice scene, <laughs> which I guess, like, you know, foreshadows that they're all going to explode when they all start throwing up blood <laughs> after he poisons, after uh, Adam Brody poisons everybody. <laughs> uh, with the chalice or whatever, that was fun. That was yeah, good time. that was good. Yeah. Also, just one last uh, shout out to uh, Justin, the helpful car guy, who uh, <laughs> the uh, the scene where she's uh, she grabs the car and then she like calls like the car company. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, like OnStar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like trying to help her out, and then uh, they report the car stolen, so he can't help her anymore, and they power down the car. <laughs> yeah, that was a and great. She, yeah, and she's just like freaking out, and she's like yell- like just yelling at Justin the entire <laughs> the entire time. Uh, it was pretty great. Yeah, I just love that, like, he's like, well, now this is no longer our corporate policy to help uh, stolen vehicles, so... Right. Police are on the way, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, like, hangs up. Yes, who's, and he was played by uh, Nat Faxon, who was uh, Jim Rash's writing partner. Um, really? Jim, Jim Rash, who was Dean Pelton Community and uh, co-wrote The Descendants with George Clooney. Yep. Um, yeah, they, they wrote uh, Oscar winner, there. Jim Rash. Exactly. Academy Award winner, Dean Pelton from Community. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's, uh, I, I think I, I've pretty much gone through all I wanted to say about Ready or Not. I think it's a very fun time. Uh, solid horror comedy stuff to kind of end the summer with, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, so any other final thoughts about the movie, Mike, before we uh, start wrapping things up? No, I think uh, I think Ready or Not doesn't have any right to be as much fun as it is, and I'm glad that it's that much fun. Yeah, totally. All right, so Ready or Not, good time. Uh, hope to catch up with the other films of Radio Silence uh, in the near future, and hopefully this means they can make a bunch more uh, movies for sure. So yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, Mike. Where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and MD Film Blog on Letterboxd. And you can find me at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter and all of our podcasts and stuff over at Rapture Press. Thank you for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DiCrescio. Uh Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. And like I said, Rapture Press is where you can find our podcast alongside uh, the Review Zoo and Badass Biz Bitches as well. Uh, our next episode of Mike and Mike will see us returning to Derry and the Losers Club to see what uh, It Chapter 2 has in store for us. Uh, Now, you still have not seen It Chapter 1, right, Mike? Correct. I have not seen it. 
Uh, I rewatched it last night. I would heavily recommend watching it. <laughs> I mean, I planned on seeing okay. it before recently. Okay. Like uh, well, I, I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters, and I was thinking to myself that maybe I can get away with like you know just not rewatching it and going to see it chapter two. Uh, but when I rewatched it last night, I was like, man, I had forgotten a lot about the stuff that happened <laughs> in, in it. So I, I'm glad I rewatched it and uh, looking forward to it chapter two. Reviews have started to come out, and they're kind of mixed, but. I'm really excited to see Bill Hader uh, in that. Yeah, movie, man. <laughs> that's really mostly doing it for Bill. It's all it's all for Bill, man. It always yep. is. He's the next complete works podcast, probably. Oh my uh, god, <laughs> that would be incredible. Just every episode of SNL is. Its own oh separate. wait a second, hold on. <laughs> uh, all right, plus keep an eye out for the next complete works, uh, which we'll see Nicolas Cage, not Bill Hader, uh, in a 2018 thriller called Looking Glass. So there's that. Uh, (laughs) And that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. I'm so just, glad you have that. It's just, just, talking about, just, just the way she says it. It's in the trailer, I think, if you want to, like, go rewatch it. But just the way she's, it. she's, like, just the way her face, like, moves and her head turns, like, a game. What? <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. this one line in, in Jurassic Park 2 where the guy has a British accent for one line. Do you remember that at all? Oh, wait. Yeah, what does he say? When uh, they're, they're, they're filming the Stegosaurus's. And uh, they start to attack them, and they run away, and he's like, she's just protecting her baby. Out of nowhere, he has, he says that one line in a British accent, and that's it. What the fuck? Man, now I have to go back and watch Dress Part 2. See what you're ah, to do. Ah, got him again. 